Hello and welcome to episode 140 of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast. Yes, still being recorded in the beautiful home office of Chateau Relaxo, Florida. And tonight, we're talking about setting yourself up to win the day. Thanks for listening. Hello, if you are a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And before we get to tonight's topic, a quick travel update. Yes, there has been some travel since our last episode. I have been on the road a little bit, visited both Atlanta, Georgia, as well as Sarasota, Florida. In the past, the Atlanta trip would normally have been a flight in a rental car. This time I opted for a ride, a nice seven and a half hour ride, very easy to uh to accomplish, I think I listened to a little bit of an audio book during the trip. The same with the Sarasota, as uh, no one really flies from O-Town over to Sarasota unless you're really, really rich and have your own plane. So as somebody that has gotten their first round of the Fauci ouchie, and I actually tried to convince the pharmacist at Publix to give me all five shots at one time, the AstraZeneca, the Johnson & Johnson, the Pfizer, and the Moderna, I wanted to be one and done, but she would not buy into it. But as someone that has had their first Fauci ouchie, I can tell you the tide is turning. So I did spend some time in some hotels. And while they aren't cleaning rooms yet on a daily basis, and I don't believe this is going to return anytime soon. And why? Well, it's a cost savings for the hotels. I mean, they let a lot of staff go. And if they're not cleaning rooms on a daily basis, they probably don't need to hire that much of the staff back. And I'm seeing less and less masks, especially at Walmart. Yes, I know I'm a pretty classy shopper, but Flying J's and the pilot truck stops, even though there were signs on all the doors uh, requiring masks, uh, I didn't see a lot of people wearing masks inside the store. And honestly, you know, when was the last time that we saw a video of someone losing their mind in front of a Trader Joe's because someone was or wasn't wearing a mask? So, like I said, I think we are on the uh, the downside. So hopefully everything keeps going well and in a positive direction. And welcome to the first episode of our new pivoted format. As pivoted as in we're uh, incorporating more non-travel related episodes into the format since I'm not traveling as much and we've actually reduced and gone from four episodes a month to only two. And what a better pivot than a cheesily titled episode like setting yourself up to win the day. And all cheese aside, I'm a true believer in the attitude determines your altitude, or as I think Lou Ferrigno, the original Green Hulk, once said, the attitude is very important because your behavior radiates how you feel. And I'm a sucker for all those success slash motivational posters that you see in the lobbies and conference rooms of buildings and companies. And believe it or not, most of these posters came from a company called Successories. And they had, uh, they used to have stores inside the malls during the 80s and the early 90s. The company was founded in 1985 by a gentleman named Mac Anderson. And believe it or not, Successories was knocking down over $70 million a year selling posters that weren't of a Lamborghini or Heather Thomas. So there's a, a career opportunity for you. And most all of us in life, 
Most everybody here has had some sort of an aha moment. If you haven't, uh, brace yourself, it's coming. And of course, one of those moments was watching the birth of my first child. Another one was watching a family member pass away right in front of my eyes. But one of the most powerful aha moments in my life was in 1976. I was 12 years old. We were living outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I had already lived by the time I was 12 in five different states. I had a father that was very hardworking and was climbing that corporate ladder, as they say. And this is back in the days when companies would offer you a promotion and it normally required transferring to a different region, different state, things like that, a different regional office. And if you declined, that typically was when your career dissipation meter started to kick in. Or as my dad would say, they only ask you one time to move. And if you decline it, that was your shot. As the summer of 1976 approached, my mom decided that sending me to camp for a month was a glorious and wonderful idea. And I forgot to tell you about the part where at the age of 12, I was a total pain in the ass kid. And not the, to the point of setting things on fire and shoplifting, things like that. More along the lines of just having a really smart comeback for anything that anybody said to me or asked of me, uh, and then combine that with a very negative attitude about life. And this was well beyond puberty or teenage angst, whatever they call it. You know, in present times, more than likely the doctor would prescribe a handful of meds and look for some sort of label to put it on. But back to the camp story, my mom was filling out the... Uh, the application and I was really not all that geared up about going and she left the completed application on the desk and being a typical curious 12 year old I thumbed through it and one of the sections asked what can we do to help your son and so my mom wrote and I remember this to this day Steve has a very very low self-esteem and anything you can do to help him would be wonderful so this was the 1970s books like I'm okay, you're okay, we're all the rage. And I was familiar with terms like low self-esteem since my mom had already taken me to a shrink. And look, I was 12 years old, we called them shrinks, we didn't call them therapists. But the summer of 76 was truly life-changing. Uh, back at the time, I didn't really completely realize it, but when I got to camp, I hated it. I wanted to go home, hated everything about it. Four weeks later, I cried when the session was over and it was time to go home. And I was fortunate enough to spend the next four or five summers at camp. I've managed to make it back several times over the years. And every time I step foot on that property, I am like the mayor of Wussville. Lots of tears, lots of memories. But camp taught me many things. And one of the things that it did teach me is it was important to have a daily routine. Waking up at the same time each day. The other was possessing a a really positive mindset, you know, during your daily challenges, be it rock climbing, if we were hiking, kayaking, or something as simple as cleaning out the, the bunkhouse, a positive mindset had to be at the forefront. So a few years after camp, I was being confirmed at our church. And one of the gifts I received was the 1952 book. This is 1978. My parents gave me a 1952 book from Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. I never said they were timely. So 30 years, almost 30 years later, they, they give me a book that had been written 30 years previous. And while the book has a lot of religious tie-ins, it's still filled with plenty of non-secular topics. Uh, picture yourself succeeding. Think a positive thought to drown out a negative thought. Minimize obstacles. Uh, develop strong self-respect. And I had always been a reader, but at the age of 14, I truly devoured this book. 
and things really started to make sense. Another one of those aha moments. And if you survey or talk to people, you'll hear a common theme oftentimes. So you'll hear something along the lines of, I've never met a successful person that wasn't a reader. And I completely agree. I mean, I'm always got one or two books going. Tony Robbins, I've been reading since my early 20s, the late Zig Ziglar. Uh, Jim Collins has a book, Good to Great. It's a true game changer, Richard Branson. One of my favorites is Tom Peters. If you've ever heard of the Peter Principle, that is people rise to their level of incompetence. And Peters is really an amazing guy. I've seen him give a complete 20, 30 minute presentation with one PowerPoint slide that had a red background and a yellow exclamation point on it. But really interesting, fascinating guys. And the list of authors goes on and on. Right now I'm in the middle of uh, Reed Hastings' book, the guy from Netflix, No Rules Rules. This was a recommendation from a good friend and fellow podcast guest, Robbie Morris. And there's some nuggets in that book as well. So to this day, I still enjoy uh, reading. Earlier in the week, I was speaking with another coworker about these types of books. And his comment was that most successful or mentally healthy people follow most of these things that we read about. And then he said, you and I just weren't smart enough to write all this stuff down and publish our own book. So while successful and mentally healthy don't always go hand in hand, just spend some time on TMZ to, to see that for yourself, but they can become mutually exclusive. So over the years, I think I've made it a point, and I've talked about this before, that I give two books to every graduating high school senior that's in my life. First one is Napoleon's Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And the other one is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I guess while my parents weren't very timely giving old books away, I'm probably not any better. But do these kids ever read it? That's doubtful. I think at the age of uh, 17, 18, when you're getting out of high school, you probably think you know more about everything than anybody else. So they probably don't read them. But would it make a difference? Absolutely. And the consistent theme or the constant theme in these two books to me is twofold. First is routine. And while that doesn't necessarily mean beginning each day with, you know, yoga and meditation, it means approaching tasks in a very repeatable structured manner. And the other thing that I've always pulled out of both of those books is that attitude. It really is more important than you think. So now back to the cheesy title of this episode, setting yourself up to win the day. On the surface, that may make it sound like that what you do in the morning sets you up for the whole day. And partly, yeah, that's true, but it's what transpires over 24 hours for me that sets me up for the next 24 hours, also known as the day. So when it comes to that day, I have a tripod approach to WTD win the day, saying three-legged stool has gone out of fashion apparently and been replaced with tripod since it's more relatable. So my tripod of things that I build my day on, the number one is a solid night's sleep. Again, corny, but very important. And when I say solid, that doesn't mean 10 hours. It means what works for you. For me, my whole life, my internal alarm clock goes off right around 6.15. Growing up, I used to love to have sleepovers right up till about 6.15 when I was wide awake and all the other guys could sleep till 8.30 or 9 o'clock. I've tried it my whole life. It just does not work out. Same thing with camp, 6.15, wide awake. When I go to Vegas and there's a three-hour time difference, my body clock says it's 6.15, I'm awake, I look over at the bedside table or my watch, and it's 3 a.m. Vegas time. 
at the age of 56 to this day, 615 still wide awake. But the flip side of that is most nights I'm in bed by 11 p.m. So waking up around 615 gives me right about seven hours of sleep. And that works for me. It doesn't have to be 10 hours. I can survive on less. I can get away with four or five hours of sleep. As I get older, I can't do it for a sustained amount of time. Usually after three or four days of four or five hours of sleep, I start getting really cranky and punchy. So sleep is important. And sleep is one of those things that really helps me to win the day. My routine, number one, sleep. Number two is nutrition. And while I joke about eating like a third grader, really that third grade eating plan isn't that sustainable as you move through your 40s and your 50s. And my two dietary challenges are portion control and the fact that I like everything except mayonnaise. So combine those two challenges with somebody that travels and is exposed to just an endless supply of regional delicacies, it's a recipe for disaster. When I go to Maryland, I want crab cakes. Memphis, it's barbecue. New York, it's pizza. And the list goes on and on. So you have to learn that you don't need to upsize everything. Sometimes that light beer is a better choice than the double IPA. And finishing up with the third trip to the buffet doesn't always need to happen. And while we're on nutrition, um, I believe in solid nutrition. There are some nutritionally related things that I do not really subscribe to. Uh, drinking 64 ounces of water per day or put any number that you want in there, 120 ounces, whatever it is. I don't believe that that makes so much of a difference. I've tried it. My skin's not any fresher. I'm not in any less pain. Cutting out soda is another one. I have done it. I've taken soda out of my uh, repertoire for as long as 90 to 120 days absolutely no impact. And then finally, the other one, gluten-free, high-carb, low-carb, carb cycling, vegan, organic, whatever you want to do or follow, or at least for me, does not dramatically impact me long-term. And most of the time, these things aren't sustainable. Now, the two exceptions to that would probably be if you were a professional athlete, then yeah, I'm going to go that, you know, some kind of an eating regime is going to be very important. Or if you have a medical condition such as celiac disease or IBS, I remember about 10 years ago, I was at the doctor's and I think gluten-free was all the, the right. I don't even remember what it was, but it may have been gluten-free. Like, the doctor goes, look, you're not gluten intolerant. This is not going to have any impact. All it's going to do is frustrate you and make it something that's not sustainable. So that's kind of, you know, my take on some of those. You have to follow these nutritional guidelines. And I think you got to find what works for you. I also believe that a lot of your uh, dietary requirements are governed by your genetics. Some people got to eat every two or three hours or their glucose levels begin to plummet. I can easily eat dinner at 8 p.m. and not eat until noon the next day. Some of you people nowadays call that intermittent fasting. I pretty much stick with I'm not really that hungry or I'm too lazy to fix anything. The third piece of that tripod is exercise. You have to keep moving. And as you age, your exercise template or programs need to be adjusted. So when you're in your teens, it seems like cardio is the big thing. The kids that are big that play football, those are the guys that lift. But in your teens, you really don't have a good base to build muscle or mass or strength. Now, you can eat just about anything that you want, but it seems like cardio seems to be the big thing uh, that teenagers want. In your 20s, your exercise template or regime or program is dominated by programs focusing on strength or size or mass. 
there's five by five strong lifts. There's uh, Jim Windler has his five, three, one program. They're starting strength. I think there's even the uh, milk in squats program. So the thought behind this one, and I love this one was drink a gallon of milk and eat three meals a day and do ass to grass, full range of motion squats. The milk is going to give you at least an additional 2,400 calories into your diet. You will gain weight and you will gain size. And in your 20s, you can do that. You can almost outstrain a really bad diet. The other thing that people tend to do in their 20s is they train using body splits. Remember this, Monday, chest day, Tuesday, back, Wednesday, shoulders, and so on. Suddenly, you find yourself in your 30s. I call this the CrossFit years. I've done CrossFit. It's a great community, great bunch of people. The best part about CrossFit is, for the most part, you don't have to program anything. You just show up and the workout is there. When you hit your 40s, guess what? You start to realize that, no, you really can't out-train a bad diet. Things like cycling, paddleboarding are suddenly more appealing uh, in replacing some of your heavy lifting days. You start getting books like The New Rules of Lifting or, or Power Training. You're not really focused on, on gaining that much size or, or mass. You might do like I did and do a Warrior Dash. I did three of them in less than 12 months. I think they're out of business now. I also decided it would be a great idea to do a sprint triathlon. So not a full try, but a sprint one. I came in dead last. Dead last as in as I was crossing or heading towards the finishing line, they were picking up the orange cones. That's how bad it was. It was probably one of the worst days of my life. Here's a tip for you. A mountain bike with big and knobby mountain bike tires is not at all the same as a $2,000 tri bike. Some of these guys in this sprint tri were very, very serious. The 50s, where I'm at now, I do a lot more kettlebell and resistant bands than ever before. I love to work out with my battle rope. I've got an assault bike. I now deadlift with a trap bar or a uh, hex bar. My back is eternally grateful. I don't do many uh, full range squats anymore. That's been replaced by box squats. I don't run. Most of the miles that I do are done walking at a brisk pace. And things like mobility and balance are becoming more important. And yes, guess what? In your 50s, is the diet is less forgiving than ever before. So that's my tripod. Sleep, nutrition, and exercise. Those are the things that help prepare me for the next 24 hours. But wait, there's more. There's always more. The first thing is my routine, a daily routine of some sort. So most of us have heard of Tony Robbins, and he sticks to a morning routine designed to boost his energy. So he starts out with some nutritional supplements, a little bit of meditation, workout, and then does a sauna to cold pool plunge, which I guess is going to really get your uh, heart rate going. He claims he can do this in under 30 minutes. It's very intense, but Robbins claims that he calls this his priming for the day. So routine and priming, probably interchangeable. Tim Ferriss, the author of the four-hour work week, four-hour body, four-hour chef, the whole four-hour series. His routine, very similar, makes the bed, meditates for 20, out, 20 minutes, 20 hours, meditates for 20 minutes, drinks some strong tea, journals five to 10 minutes, eats a small meal. Uh, and then anywhere from 20 to 90 minutes worth of exercise. So both Robbins and Ferris, these guys are motivational marketing machines and their brand as well as their income depend on these routines and getting the word out. Well, because, right, nobody wants a motivational guru that is, approaches his day like this. 
uh, wake up anywhere between 9 a.m. and noon. First meal, probably Fruit Loops, leftover pizza from the night before. Pretty much anything that never had a heartbeat. Somewhere after uh, one o'clock, crack the first beer, so on. And so, I mean, you get you get it right. It's probably a extreme example, but there is a nugget of truth in there. And so, for me, my daily routine really isn't dependent on the time of day. What's important is that I get as much of it done every single day. So the very first thing is skincare. Yes, believe it or not, twice a day. And I'm not talking about the seven-in-one Old Spice blue goo that you buy at the convenience store. Yes, the stuff does smell amazing. But washing your face with the same stuff that you use to wash your feet really can't be that good. A good skincare regime, maybe 20 bucks a month. Uh, get on Google search uh, male skincare or female skincare as well then hit up amazon the next thing is journaling i do this every day some people do it with a traditional pen and paper i have done that in the past right now i'm using this app called day one and i have journaled for right a little over a thousand days consistently sometimes i'll use a gratitude template sometimes i'll use a writing prompt that they provide and sometimes it's just a rant Typically, I'll journal in the morning or at night, depending on how my day is structured. And often you'll hear people talk about the five-minute journal, um, which roughly takes about five minutes in the morning. You write down something that you're grateful for, followed by something that would make the day great. And then finally, a daily affirmation. I am fill in the blank. And then before you go to sleep, write three amazing things that happened during your day. Ask yourself and write down, what could I have done to make the day better? My take on gratitude journaling is it typically starts out with people writing, hey, I'm grateful for my family, my job, my health, the typical stuff. But if you stick with it, those topics evolve into other things. Like I'm grateful that my body allows me to play with my grandchildren, or I'm grateful that I have the ability to figure out how to repair a cut sprinkler line. So you will be surprised how much you truly have to be grateful for. It's kind of like at the end of the day, everybody has to have had at least three amazing things that happened during your day. And this is just one way of, of documenting it. And it is, it's nice to look back over the years and see where you've been, where you're, you're headed to. The other thing is ABL, always be learning, kind of a cheesy takeoff on the uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, ABC, always be closing speech. So if you're into sales, I'm sure you've seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And this doesn't have to be traditional classroom learning. And of course, over the past year, there's not much that has been very traditional. There are websites out there like Udemy that offer online cooking classes, computer programming. A lot of these are actually free. And here's an interesting stat, or two interesting stats. 33% of high school graduates never read another book the rest of their lives. 42% of college grads never read another book after college. And I'm a reader. I find it hard to believe that those numbers are true. But guess what? You don't have to read a book to learn something. There are audio books out there. There are podcasts that offer learning opportunities, not like this podcast. You're not gonna learn much yet. But for me, you stop evolving as soon as you stop learning. The next thing is mindful minutes or self-care, call it what you like, but all of us need just a little bit of time to disconnect and focus. And it can be done in a, in a bunch of different ways. Meditation, 
you hear this all the time and the reason is that it really works you can put on a fancy silk robe and bust out a tibetan singing bowl to meditate or you can turn your phone off and sit in a chair in the corner do whatever works for you just do it don't get frustrated with it you will get the hang of it yoga while stretching can't be beat it's really relaxing there's something very mindful when it comes in the form of yoga go on youtube search yoga no need to purchase an app or subscribe to anything coloring the ceo as well as my mom love to uh, break out a coloring book and uh, use the colored pencils or crayons and that's a uh, that's a good way to uh, to get a few mindful minutes during your day and also something i call me time and this is something that you do for yourself each and every day it's different than the mindful minutes or the uh, the self the self care so cook a new meal visit your favorite store try a new adult beverage enjoy a cigar my me time usually involves something like working in the garage doing some woodworking geocaching this is also a great time to routine stack so during the day maybe you came across a video that talked about how to learn to juggle maybe during your me time you grab uh three or four balled up socks and try to to learn to juggle here at chateau relaxo I'm usually the one that comes across a new recipe and uh, by the end of the day, typically we've tried it, plated it and been served. So yes, your me time can benefit others as well. So my day roughly follows this routine. So 6.15, seven days a week, I'm awake. Typically without alarm clock, I will on the road set my phone to wake me at 6.30. The CEO has an alarm clock set for 6.21 a.m. Monday through Friday, so that's the backup plan there. Usually by 7, I'm exercising, 7.45, some meditation, some yoga, 8 a.m. breakfast, uh, followed by my shower and skincare. Roughly somewhere around 8.30 in the morning, the workday starts. Around noon, believe it or not, I try to take a lunch break. Usually that's the time that I'll reserve for some ABL, time to do a little bit of learning. I might listen to an audio book. I might search for uh, a new recipe at Food Network or, or Recipe.com. 6 p.m. when I was typically traveling, when I'm home, I do about 80% of the cooking so oftentimes I'll try one of the new recipes I found uh, during lunch. 7.30, it's me time. So often I'll take out a, a tablet and go sit out back and enjoy a beer or a bourbon or a cigar while I look through my RSS feed. This is also time that I will typically journal. And one of the great things about the day one app is it has an on this day feature. So it'll actually show you what you logged on this day in the past years and then bedtimes most nights right around 11 p.m there are exceptions but i'm going to go with 11 p.m and oftentimes i'll go to sleep listening to the app calm c-a-l-m if you want to get started with some meditations they have a multitude of sessions a lot of them are free that helps you with daily intentions uh, meditation but what i like is their sleep stories they have a series of sleep stories nothing more than a bedtime story but they have me, for some reason, in absolute dreamland in less than 10 minutes. So does this routine help me to WTD, to win the day? I don't know. You know, but for me, a, a routine, a daily routine helps me with my mindset. Is this going to help prevent disasters? Nah. Personal tragedies? Absolutely not. But it does provide me the stability 
or some direction for the next 24 hours. Now, one thing that is noticeably absent on this list is social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, on and on and on. There are pros and cons with social media. For me, it comes down to these six words. Comparison is the thief of joy. And I think this quote has been attributed to many, many people over the years. I certainly did not come up with it, but comparison is the thief of joy. And so I attribute it, or look at it this way. If seeing someone that you've never met and they post a picture on Instagram of their new Tudor Black Bay watch, and it makes you feel like crap, then guess what? Social media just may not be for you. On the flip side, if seeing someone that you've never met post a picture of their brand new Black Bay watch, Tudor Black Bay watch on Instagram, and it makes you want to celebrate it, then maybe, just maybe, you're cut out for social media. And to me, social media really isn't all that different than real life. So, right, it's really not all that different. If you've got somebody at the office that's always getting upset about this and that, they're probably the same people that's on social media getting upset about this or that. Stuff that really doesn't have a lot of bearing or impact on their life. Well, that's it. That's our first pivot episode. Is this going to pan out? Not sure, but you can leave me a voicemail at anchor.com or email travelfrick at gmail.com. Let me know. If you want to see uh, detailed show notes and links, and there are a lot of links in this episode or in the show notes, head over to podpage.com slash travel hyphen stories. That's podpage.com slash travel hyphen stories. As I always like to say, travel safe, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.